Amen. You know, this uh, talk of uh, just sharing Jesus, uh, it may be new to some of you that just that idea, it's been so long or maybe never in your Christianity, a great kickstart. It's just this simple for each of us. From now to next week, invite somebody to come to church with you next week. Just invite somebody to say, hey, what are you doing Sunday morning? Why don't you come along with me? It's as simple as that. From here to next week, invite somebody. That helps kickstart this idea of sharing Jesus, though we're calling you to actually so much more. We want to teach you how to share Jesus outside of here, and we're talking more about that uh, as we go. Well, uh, we're talking, finally, about the new Jesus came to offer. So uh, hopefully you, you got the extra teaching this week. Did you all listen to it? Let's just go one by one through the room. No, we won't do that. We won't do that. Though, I mean, I can't tell on the view. It just tells me views. You could all say, yep, yep, and I'd say, wow, that's amazing. You guys are fantastic. Um, but we're going to jump into it. So uh, notice this morning I wore slacks and uh, I, look at this, Cecil, I'm tucked. I got a belt and everything this morning. Um, so my mom really likes it. She'll be watching uh, when I dress up and look nice. Um, so I thought I'd dress a little new because we're introducing the new Jesus came to offer. We're talking about this over the next couple weeks, and then we're going to be done with this series. But here's what I'm going to do for you. As I look down, I'm like, man, how in the world do I get everything we want to talk about in what Jesus offers into like this week and next week? It's not really possible to do it incredible justice. Um, so I'm just going to sandwich in between some extra teachings um, that that if you listen to them, it will help enhance this. If you choose not to, I think what we talk about Sunday morning uh, will get you a pretty good chunk, um, but the, those extra teachings will kind of enhance and tell us more, especially if you walk away and, uh, and have question marks. Of course, you can always uh, call and we can talk through it uh, as well. So let's just, um, let's pray and we'll jump into this. Lord, thank you this morning for for what you have to offer our life. And Lord, how incredibly terrible it would be if you were offering us something that didn't transform us, that didn't do something powerful in our life. And Lord, we are grateful that indeed you do. And so uh, speak to us. Draw us close. Send us forward in the next few minutes especially. And we pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you got in here, uh, hopefully you have one of these. We're going to go through all the passages uh, that are in here. If you didn't get one, if you, you know, slip up your hand and, um, so my family up here, I'm going to start bringing them home during the week. So, um, Patrick, do you mind just grabbing those? I, I, uh, didn't recruit somebody, uh, for this. They're on the back, now nah, the back corner there. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Um, so let's just jump into it, and we'll walk through these passages uh, this morning. Now, Judas had just slipped out. It's right at the time we finished last week at the Last Supper. Seemed like an odd time for one of the disciples to slip out. Maybe he had to run an errand. That's a weird time, right? There's still food on everybody's table. But when that door closed, you have to understand, when he stepped out and the door closed, this would kickstart this would kickstart this series of events that would kind of end in what the disciples would think was a nightmare when they saw Jesus on the cross. So whatever Jesus had remaining to say that night, it was important that he say it, right? And he does. Take a look at your notes. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. That might have been concerning. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Several of the disciples, maybe all of them, they probably didn't hear anything after he said that. Where are you going? 
Why can't we go with you? We've been going with you for three years everywhere you've been going, and we can't go with you. What's happening here? Now, what we don't often think of is at this point, they had been embedded as followers of Jesus. Jesus, as you know, was going to be arrested that night and go to the cross the next day, right? So his followers were in great danger. It was Jesus's popularity up till now that had been a security blanket for his followers as well. And so you've got to think what they might be thinking too. If Jesus went missing, odds are they would go missing as well. Speaking of missing, wonder where Judah, Judas ran off to. This is what Jesus continued. Look at your notes. A new command I give you. A new command I give you. I mean, they needed a new commandment like, they didn't need a new commandment, right? The 600 plus commandments that had been written, not to mention the many, many hundreds more that the Pharisees had kind of created off of any, any gap they thought was in the law, had kept them plenty busy up till now. Besides, remember, Jesus had already reduced all of the commandments down to two. Do you remember that passage? Love God and love your neighbor. Let's read it again. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is what? The first and greatest commandment. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. It was powerful when Jesus said that. So why a third? And besides, what authority did Jesus have to add in the first place? I mean, only God had the authority, right, to add to this. Prioritizing and maybe regrouping, that was one thing, but adding here. But then again, only God had the authority to forgive sin. Only God had the power to give sight to the blind. Or only God had the power to raise people from the dead. So uh, maybe Jesus had some authority here, right? He fell in line with all of those. As it turned out, Jesus wasn't simply adding a new command to an existing list of commands. He's actually doing something much more radical if we follow what he's talking about. He continues, he says this, a new command I give you, love one another. Jesus made love a verb, if you know kind of how the language works there. It's in the imperative form of the verb. Do you know what the imperative means, all you English teachers out there? That's a command. Jesus is offering a command here, as in this, go over there and love that person. Could you imagine Jesus like as a marriage counselor, you know? All right, stop it. Go home, love each other, right? Get on with it. Now, that's kind of what Jesus is saying here in this love one another, Listen, Jesus isn't just commanding the guys in the room to feel something. He is commanding them to do something. But loving one another, that wasn't all that new, right? I mean, that had shown up from the beginning, even in the law, all the way through. Well, it turns out Jesus wasn't quite through. He takes it a step further. But what came next is really what changed the world. And I believe that perhaps if we would prioritize this of what Jesus is saying, it would impact our world too. Not just in this, this huge sense, broad sense, but the people you interact with on a daily basis that God has put in your life. What came next made his message, I believe, irresistible. And it's why it exploded. And it actually trumped the golden rule. Do you remember that one in scripture? He says this, as I have loved you, 
so you must, what? Say it with me. Love one another. As I've loved you, you must love one another. Follow Jesus' logic. This is new. He words it in a different way than what they had known up till now. Jesus is actually claiming himself as the gold standard to love. The, the love of doing unto others and hoping they might do the same to you or vice versa, that's not what he's talking about. He's actually going further than this. He's redefining this. Jesus instructs his followers to do unto one another as he has done unto them. That's something new. He's raising the bar here on this. And this was a whole other kind of love that Jesus is talking about. Now, this love is anchored in a person, right? And that's what the men in the room, it would have been very personal. When we think of this, when we think of, of that phrase, as I have loved you, when Jesus says that, we think of the cross, don't we? We think that Jesus went to the cross for us. What greater love can someone have than to lay down their life for a friend? That's what we think of. Well, that's not what the disciples would have thought of. Jesus hadn't done that. This was impersonal. In fact, they would have started to look back and to think about the way Jesus had loved them or had loved people and what Jesus had done in those three years that they had been tracking and following. Perhaps they all had their own personal story that Jesus could have said. Perhaps Jesus could have extended and said, hey, Matthew, remember the first time we met? You were despised by your community. He was a tax collector. You were despised by your community, right? You're an embarrassment to your families, but I called you to follow me. I called you to follow me anyway. Matthew, extend that same grace to everyone you meet in your life as I have loved you. Nathaniel, remember the day we met. Remember what you said about me. Do you guys remember this passage? You said, can anything good come from Nazareth? You dissed me, you dissed my family, you dissed my friends and my town, right? But I chose to have you follow me. I forgave you and said, come follow me. Extend that same kind of grace and forgiveness to everyone you met as I have loved you. Now, he could have said for good measure, and gentlemen, if you think you've seen me love, buckle up because you ain't seen nothing yet. And he would have been right. Listen, Jesus, he is the hinge between these two covenants. And as that, he's, his mission is to kind of lay the groundwork of what he's talking about here, this transition from old to new. And summarizing the entire Jewish law into two commandments, love God, love others, I mean, that's not just genius, it's strategic as he sends his people forward, just as the Old Testament had laws that defined it on how the people were supposed to live, so Jesus would offer commandment on how his followers were to live as well. But this list, it wouldn't be engraved on stone tablets, right? Uh, this would be written on our hearts, on our mind, on our consciousness as well. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, man, it would just be easier if it was on stone tablets. It was visible and tangible like this. But he designed it different and even more intricate and more powerful. These rules and regulations associated with Jesus is new. They could be easily committed to memory because they weren't really a they. They were actually summarized down to an it, this one, this commandment Jesus is saying here doesn't really sound very commanding, does it? One, 
Now, you got to understand, there are lots of things the New Testament teaches us about how we're supposed to live, lifestyle choices, things to say yes to, things to say no to, and those type of things. But we don't start with those. We actually start with this overriding command Jesus is offering, and these things play out under the umbrella of what Jesus is calling us to. Now, listen, this should go, out, this should go without saying, but I feel the need to say it since most aren't saying it. I want to say it. This, the old covenant commands are part of the old covenant. The end of the old covenant signaled the end of the rules and regulations that were embedded with the old covenant. Jesus didn't issue this new command kind of as a tack on to the end of the old. He is issuing something new to live by. This is a replacement for the existing covenant God had with Israel, an important covenant, something that was so valuable, divinely put in place for a purpose and a reason, but a means to an end. Jesus is bringing replacement to that, including the Big Ten. Just as this covenant was fulfilled and replaced the old covenant, Jesus' new commandment would replace the old commandments. Like, this is another one of those don't rush by this two quick kind of moments in our journey we've been talking about up till now. And if it makes you nervous at all, what we just said, we don't quite understand the demanding nature of what Jesus is calling us to. In fact, I would say, if you're worried about losing the Big Ten, understand that the love Jesus is calling us to, we'll talk about in just a minute, it leads us to not only following those things in the Big Ten, but taking them to a much, much higher level. No loopholes. No loopholes. So the significance of what Jesus says next really can't be overstated. And let's make sure we walk through this. As circumcision, that was kind of the distinguishing mark of a male in the old covenant. So now this Love, this one another brand of love, this is going to be the distinguishing mark for a man or woman who chooses to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This distinguishing mark, this new covenant brand of love, it was going to serve as kind of this unifying behavior of the ecclesia. Remember, we talked about that a couple weeks ago of Jesus. This would define who we are. This new commandment, this is going to be the governing ethic. This is going to be the standard by which all behavior was going to be measured. Remember the passage? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. A defining mark. Now, this term love is a demonstrative pronoun. You remember what those are, right? Yep, I I didn't think so. I, I didn't. I had to work on this, right? A demonstrative pronoun are used to point to something specific, And in this case, it's a singular demonstrative pronoun, meaning Jesus is pointing to something singular in this particular verse as the defining characteristic, the way they would love, the way they love. Let me just pause for a second. Let me tell you why this brings such fear to us to talk this way. It's because in our world, and especially in the last 40 to 50 years, there's been a reworking and redefining of the word love, almost a hijacking of the word love that has taken us to the point that would say that if we would just be accepting of the way anyone thinks and anyone acts in any time in any way, 
then that is love and nothing else matters. And we're going to find that's not the love Jesus has called us to. But because we get a little fearful in this, because we get a little fearful that there's a message out there that says, just love and you're good. It doesn't have to do anything with behavior and what you do and all that kind of stuff. We get a little nervous in the Christian world. I'm here to tell you, plain and simple, very clear in the words of Jesus, the ethic of one another love is the defining characteristic that Jesus calls us to which would lead you and me to next ask the question, what is this love that Jesus is asking us to do? What does it look like? What do I do? And once I see what Jesus, I I, want to say as a believer, I'm all on board, Jesus. I'm all on board. Because that's what Jesus is talking about. Love others as I have loved you. His primary concern was not that they believe something, certainly important, right? Right? but not the thing we usually struggle with as Christians. Instead, he insisted they do something. They do something with their love. Like on Facebook, if we send, hey, sending you love, sending you love, right? I understand the heart sentiment, but it's not action. So Jesus would be saying, that's fine. Tell somebody, hey, sending you love, follow it with action, You're going to be defined by your action of love. That's what he's asking here. That's what he's saying. Love as he's love. So the men that gathered that night, they might have had some inkling of what he was talking about. They had been with him up till now. But the next day, it would be agonizingly clear what he was talking about. Now, Understand this, Jesus' new command, it involves uh, also a subtle but, but very significant shift in the world order. Up till now, Jesus, had, uh, the, the, the commandments had been kind of anchored and tethered. And what all the Jewish law commandments had been kind of anchored onto, love for or fear of or dedication to God, all good things. But notice Jesus doesn't put it in this way. He doesn't tether his command. Instead, what does he do? He tethers it to, and this is big, to himself. That's what Jesus is saying here. He inserts himself into the equation that a normal mere mortal should not put themselves into. He's speaking again to who he is and what his place is. And now, in this this subtlety, there's kind of a not-so-subtle shift from simply vertical, from simply me and God, be right here, to I've got to be right here as well. He speaks this very clear. So just the eye to the sky days only, those were coming to an end. Jesus demanding something greater of his followers to put anything that we claim here into this as the defining narrative that tells us we indeed are a follower of this. And he speaks it clear with this love. A litmus test for being a bona fide follower of Jesus, it was not the ritualistic or our day of the week or festival-driven sacrificial system, all significant in the old covenant. Following Jesus wouldn't be as simple as just get close to God and I'm fine, right? As we say sometimes, Jesus' followers would demonstrate their devotion to God by how they put others in front of them, how they cared for others. They weren't expected to just look up. They actually authenticated their devotion by looking around 
and caring for people sacrificially as the Old Testament demanded a sacrifice as well. But it didn't stop there. Uh, Take a look at this. Absent from from Jesus' new command instructions, no overt references to his authority as God incarnate. You, You would think that this is one that Jesus would actually speak of his authority, like I am God here on earth. That is why I tell you to do this. Certainly there's some understanding of that, but in this particular moment, in his most future-defining set of instructions, Jesus refuses to play the God card. It's kind of reminiscent of Philippians chapter 2, when Jesus doesn't go that way but focuses on his humility as a thing on why he's asking I mean, even in his final, if you forget everything I've told you, remember this type of thing, Jesus doesn't lever, leverage his holiness or his personal righteousness or even his God-given authority. In other words, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't just say here, because I said so or because I'm God. Jesus leveraged his example, how he loved. Jesus said, I did it. I showed you it. I'm about to do it again for you. Jesus loved the men in the room, his love for the men in the room, not his authority over the men in the room, is what he leveraged to instruct and inspire the men in the room. Doesn't mean he wasn't all those things. It means it's not what he leveraged. He turned to them personally and said, I did it for you. Now do it for others. Listen, believers, nothing has changed Jesus' love for you, not his authority over you, he certainly has it. That is what he's leveraging to inspire you and I to do the same as what he's speaking to these disciples on the night before he would go to the cross. The men in the room, they would not see him sitting on a heavenly throne. They would see him hanging on a Roman cross. They would see that. It was this gory and gritty sacrifice, not the old covenant or keep your hands holy type of understanding that would eventually lead the disciples to take up their own crosses when they followed him in this way. That should, that should give us pause to process and think about as God is calling us. A few years later, it would give Paul reason to stop. Take a look at the passage if you remember it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider with equality with God as something, get this, to be used to his advantage. Again, he doesn't play the God card. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Not just any death. No death a mere mortal would choose, right? Even death on a cross. Jesus doesn't leverage his equality with God to stir us us into action. He probably could, and it probably would have worked just fine, right? But he chose to leverage his love for us and what he did for us as well. This was a departure from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant sacrificial system. Jesus didn't anchor this new command into his divine right as king. He certainly had it. He anchored it, and get this, his sacrificial love for us. That's what we would understand now as this sacrifice to love. 
Why should the disciples obey the, the command to love? Well, because Jesus loved them first, because he loved them best. They were to do unto others that Jesus had already done and was about to do unto them. And hours later, you'll know Jesus staged the most dramatic demonstration of this love that anyone ever could. He took everyone's breath away, including Jesus' own. If the It also took the disciples' excuses away. And I believe it takes our excuses away as well. Jesus leverages his compelling love and action for his followers to love. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you what? Love one another. That's this defining mark. Of course, towards the end of the evening, Peter had to know. He couldn't contain himself. Lord, where are you going? I just want to go with you. Just want to be there. I don't want to be here, right, without you. Even though Jesus had said, this is where I want you to go. And John wrote all of this down. And so I encourage you, read the rest of it if you want to know how Jesus responded and how it played out there as well. But Jesus' new covenant command is his governing ethic here. This umbrella command that everything else would fall under for his new movement. It was simple, but get this, it was all-encompassing. It was far less complicated than the system that they had grown up with, but it was far, far more demanding. Again, if you're, you're concerned in the slightest by the statement of not following the Ten Commandments, then you, didn't, you don't quite understand yet the demanding nature of the new commandment Jesus is establishing. Again, far less complicated, but far, far more demanding on us, on the person who wishes to be a follower of Jesus. Whereas people in the Old Testament, they found loopholes all the time in following the law. You and I find loopholes all the time in following different rules that are established at work, on the road, wherever, right? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were famous for finding loopholes throughout the law, things that helped them elevate and help the people stay down. But in this new command, no loopholes in the love Jesus is requiring for us. No loopholes in what he's asking us to do, to love others the way Christ loved us. That's powerful. That sets the tone of the new movement. Here's what I'm asking this morning, encouraging you. I want to invite you to embrace this ethic to embrace this command Jesus is offering. I want to ask you that you would put it in your own context, that you would think about your family members, your neighbors, those who you know, your coworkers, anyone God has put in your path, and to simply ask the question, what does it look like for me to love them as Christ loved me? I think what we do often, and I regret to confess, I think I've done it myself, is I say, I will love them as I think Tom should love them. And I've learned my standard is nowhere close to the standard of as Christ loved me. So I want to pray for you. And in that prayer, I want to invite you to consider that one question. What does that look like? What does it look like to love them as Christ loved me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have loved us that you continue to love us.
Lord, I thank you that your love for us is not simply grounded in an understanding that you feel something for us, though you certainly do, but that you have done for us. <coughs> we give you praise in that. Lord, we equally can look and see what you have done for others. We can read the gospel and see that. And Lord, may, like the disciples, may we not simply focus on what you did on the cross, though the powerful, everything changed there. But we also look in the gospels and see what you just did day in and day out for people. And Lord, could we just embrace it? And could we say, I want to be just like that. I want to be known as somebody who lives out that. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. For a group of believers, whether here or at other churches, that probably has the belief system down pretty good, we probably have our theology grounded pretty good. Father, it is often putting this into action in the form of love. That's our struggle. So, Lord, we ask the question, or we let you ask the question of us, what does it look like to love those around us the way you love us? What does it look like? And then would we embrace this as command that we would go out there and love them in that way? We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Well, listen, we got some work to do in that area. If, if we're going to go out and love this way, I would guess you'll run into challenges this week. You'll certainly be inconvenienced this week if you love some people. You could probably start with your family on the drive home today and be inconvenienced a little bit in how you, you love because it's radical. It's radical to think about love in this way. If there's some confusion, if there's kind of like, well, how does this all play out I'd love to talk to you about that to a degree. I can't give you the 100% answer because I'm still learning. Uh, but I can direct you to what God's word says and let the Holy Spirit speak to you as well as you learn and you study because there's so much more. We only read a few verses this morning. There's so much more. And then Pat, we actually see John and Paul in particular, those two guys in particular, they pick up on this theme and they run with it. And in fact, they set a lot of what we would call our theology on this as Jesus states it and then Paul and John pick up on it. And so I'd love to direct you there or jump into it yourself this week.